Mulaney, Omaha. Live. You like that? You like that? In the entertainment capital of the world. Rogers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in it? In the end zone. It is caught for the win. Richard Rogers with a walk-off touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Play action. Awesome time. Deep shot for Parker. Time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Oh, my goodness, the legend just goes on. The doctor is now in. How you like me now? 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 Happy Thursday to you. T.C. Martin along with Ballpark Frank as we get ready for college football. It started last night. More games today and tonight. Plenty of them, including your Ohio State Buckeyes, Frank. That's right. The real Scarlet and Gray getting action tonight against Minnesota. Then UNLV also plays later on over at uh, Allegiant against uh, Eastern Washington. Mm. That's right. Yeah, Ohio State, uh, I believe, about a 14-point favorite over those Golden Gophers. And uh, looking forward to seeing how they look. You know, they made their quarterback choice, and now we'll see how they... How they do in a season where they will play more than four games. Seems a little bit strange that we're getting into conference play already. We saw that with the Big Ten last week with Illinois and Nebraska. But then you get Ohio State, obviously a perennial national championship contender, playing boom on a Thursday night against the Gophers. Usually pretty good, so we'll see what happens there. All right, on tap today, a lot of football to talk about. we got Raiders news, breaking news. We'll talk about that here in a minute. And then uh, we're going to visit with our good friend Chuck Esposito over at Sunset Station. We talk with him about uh, college football betting as well as NFL. Going to talk with Chuck uh, regarding the AFC West divisional betting. Uh, A lot of prop bets going on. And then uh, we transition over to our good friend Scott Spritzer on the other side of the counter. And we'll talk to Scott about uh, a lot of the great games on tap for this weekend on the college side. uh, A plethora of games coming up uh, on Saturday, so we'll dive into that uh, with, with Scott. We'll talk some NFL with him as well, too. Big 7-footer, Big Bill Cartwright's going to join us next hour as well. So a lot to hit on today, and uh, like Frank mentioned tonight, UNLV will kick off their season at Allegiant Stadium, first time with fans. I shouldn't say the first time with fans because they actually were limited. They had two games last year where they had uh, 2,000 fans max, and they had two other games where fans were not allowed later in the season. But uh, the gates are wide open. It'll be interesting to see how many fans that UNLV draws tonight. And as I'm driving in here, you know they have put up the boards on the 215 and the 15 now and the you know, adjacent freeways leading to Allegiant Stadium. It says, uh, you know, game night or, you know, a stadium event is happening. And I looked at that. Because most of the time I know what's happening in Allegiant Stadium, but sometimes there'll be some of these concerts that I'm not familiar with. Oh, there's a stadium event. And then you look it up. It's like, well, do they just put that up when they're expecting a huge crowd? Or do they put up that sign no matter what is happening in the stadium? Because I was thinking, is there really going to be a lot of traffic problems tonight? And no disrespect to UNLV, but you know, they're, they're not going to have... You know, 30, 40, or 50,000 fans going to Allegiant Stadium. We talked to Eric Harper, the interim AD on the program yesterday. You know, Eric was saying, hey, I, you know, we, our, our season ticket, you know, base is right around 12, 13,000 right now. They're expecting, you know, around 20 to 25,000 tonight, which would be, be good. But again, for a lot of fans, it'll be the first time they get a chance to go into the stadium to see a football game, seeing UNLV. And granted, it's Eastern Washington, but, uh, It'll be interesting to see how well they draw tonight. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how well they draw. And I would imagine that they put it up for any kind of event because it's still going to affect traffic. Maybe mm-hmm. not like a sold-out event, but there's going to be 20,000 people there that wouldn't be there normally. And hope for UNLV, hopefully more than that. The other thing that I'm curious to see is uh, what are the parking prices going to be? Are they going to be the same for that as they are for a sold-out Raider game or a SummerSlam or a Guns N' Roses concert? Or are they going to be dropping them because it's like, well... Supply and demand, you know. I mean, is it still going to be a hundred bucks to park near the stadium, or is it going to be cheaper or something? So, you know, there's a lot of things, and I know they're still working on other things as well. I do have some friends that went to the Guns N' Roses show. They said that, like, the, as far as the Uber and Lyft and certain things, they've already made some of the stuff a little bit more convenient and a little bit more accessible. So, looks like they're slowly but surely surely getting to that right page. But I guess if one of your if you're one of the people out there 
walking a mile and a half to the arena or something like that to get there and you still paid 40 bucks to park or something like that, you're hoping that they get it together a little bit sooner than later. But, you know, these things do take time. And the one knock that they had on that stadium when they first built it was when you saw the blueprints, you knew there was going to be parking issues. It's not like it was a surprise. And the thing with UNLV, too, for, for season ticket holders and UNLV fans, whether you're, you go all the time or you go casually once in a while, you've never had to pay for parking over at Sam Boyd Stadium or to the Thomas and Mack Center for UNLV basketball games. So it is a little bit of a jolt that you're going to have to pay for parking. And you are going to have to pay for parking. But again, I think it is tiered to uh, the event and the level. Yeah, I would and, imagine it's got to be yeah. a lot less. And I had heard numbers you know, going back six months ago around, around 20 bucks, you know, park, which obviously is a heck of a lot different. Uh, you know, in comparison to a Raider game or maybe even a you know major concert where you're expecting you know fifty or sixty thousand fans, so we will see uh, how that uh, transpires. And uh, interesting betting on this game tonight with UNLV and Eastern Washington. We're going to talk to both Chuck Esposito and Scott Spicer about uh, this as well. Eastern Washington uh, opened as an eleven and a half point underdog in this game when they put it on the board. And it got bet down to UNLV minus two and a half or three. Yeah, I saw two and a half earlier today. So So all of this money has come steaming in on Eastern Washington, which I understand. Because I was talking uh, to some bettors and friends of mine, and we were talking about, well, yeah, I'll take Eastern Washington, you know, getting about 20, 22 or something like that. It's like, well, no, it's it's, it's not going to be that. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's two and two and a half. Then we started doing some homework. It actually opened like 11 and a half or 12. And then people saw that and they said, there's some value there. Embedded all the way down. And like we've talked about before, UNLV as a double-digit favorite to anyone, you've got to raise your eyebrows a little bit. So, again, uh, probably not going to be involved in, in wagering on this game, but it, that uh, a lot of steam. To see a – I don't care what sport, whether it's college, pro, to see a move like that of 10 points for season opener, that's alarming. Yeah, it's usually the kind of move you're going to see in a game that they put it up early and somebody bets it, you know, in July or August when they first throw the stuff up. And then the game's in November and a lot of things are different and the teams are different than they thought. So there's a, you know, so the line has moved a lot. But yeah, for right before the game, for within a week or so, I I just wonder if anybody uh, has put a decent wager on the middle or something like that there. And again, I can't imagine there's a ton of really big dollar bets on a game like this. But, boy, that's an enticing middle as well. You have nine points to play with there. Right. All right. Uh, So we'll uh, keep an eye on that. Uh, We'll talk a little betting a little bit later in the show. The Aces are in action tonight uh, after it's uh, been a couple weeks since they've been actually at home. They just concluded their three-game road trip, and they're back at the Mandalay Bay. And, again, uh, that is wide open now for uh, people to go see the Aces, uh, you know, tickets available, access.com, and a huge game for the Aces tonight. Uh, they only have five games left. It's the Aces and the Chicago Sky, and only in a couple, uh, you know, only, what, three of uh, their games are at home. And uh, tonight is one of them, 7 o'clock, 6.30 is the, the, the pregame, 7 o'clock. Uh, tipping off against the Chicago Sky. But the Aces will be shorthanded tonight. They'll be playing without two of their best players. Unfortunately, uh, Liz Cambage has tested positive for COVID-19. She's been placed on the WNBA's health and safety protocols. She is fully vaccinated, uh, has experienced some mild symptoms. She'll continue to isolate until she is cleared to return to play, pursuant of the protocols. So you uh, you lose Liz Cambage tonight, and also Dierka Hamby will not play. She got injured earlier in the week, Tuesday night, against the Atlanta Dream did not play against the Indiana Fever, you know, on uh, on Sunday. So uh, basically, you're going to be missing uh, about uh, you're averaging about uh, you know 27 points and about 15 rebounds per game with those two players against a very good Chicago Sky team who is battling for the playoffs. So it's going to be a great game tonight. A good Chicago Sky team, but a very up and down Chicago Sky team. When they put it on, like you mentioned, they crushed Seattle the other day. Then they come and they get blown out in a game by 20 points. So they're really kind of hit or miss a little bit. Chicago, I believe they're a couple games over 500. I know they were 14 and 12. 14 uh, and 13. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I knew that yeah. they were right around that 500 mark. But it, uh, when they look 
good, they look sensational. And when they look bad, they look really bad. It's uh, you know, it's it's one of those Jekyll Hyde teams to me. So which Chicago team will show up tonight? I guess is one of the big questions. Yeah, well, the one with Candace Parker. And when you Candace Parker came over from the L.A. Sparks, and when you look at the Chicago Sky's record when Candace Parker plays, because again, she's an older player. She, you know, just like uh, you know Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird, they're not playing every game. And when you look at the record with the Sky, when they when Candace Parker plays, it is phenomenal. And when she doesn't play, it's 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 really horrendous. And uh, and that's been the situation. You mentioned the the game where they beat Seattle, the defending champs, by thirty two points on Sunday. And even a couple nights before that, they handed it to them as as well too. They lost to the Phoenix Mercury. Uh, 103 to 83 coming off that. But, yeah, you're, it, it's really crazy. But it's, it can really be pinpointed to when Parker plays. So Chicago, to your point, they started the season 2-0. and Just like that, they were 2-7. and They lost seven games in a row at the beginning of the season. And you know what they did their next seven games? Went 7-0. and <laughs> So, I mean, they're crazy. They are a, it's a streaky team. But when Parker's there, they're phenomenal. They got the best, best guard play in the entire WNBA with uh, Ali Quigley and Courtney Vandersloon and and um, and and DeShields, uh, so the Ace going to have their hands full, and the Aces basically are going to suit up eight players tonight, and they had to to sign uh, Bria Holmes. Don't even know she's going to be ready to play. Uh, she came over from uh, the Sparks, played with UConn, or rather UConn, played with Connecticut. So yeah, Aces nineteen and seven, seven uh, second best record in the league, eleven and three at home. They've been pretty phenomenal at Mandalay Bay at the Michelob Ultra Arena. Winners uh, five of the last six games, and uh, they are a game and a half behind Connecticut, two games ahead of Seattle. So yeah, some some treacherous times when you got to go into a game without uh, you know two of your best rebounders. Well, yeah, and not only that, but then you're also going into a game where, like you said, if there's eight players that are dressed up, you got to be very cognizant of foul trouble. Uh, you, you know, so Minutes, yeah. so so, so yeah. the way the referees are there, and you know, with Chicago with the guard player, they're going to try to run it up and down a little bit more, maybe tire them out, try to try to get them worn down for the second half. So uh, you know, it, it should be interesting what both teams' game plans are. But again, like I said, I'm curious to see what Chicago team comes now. From what you mentioned there, it sounds like when Parker's in, the sky's the limit. Oh yeah, and when she's not, well, then it could be free falling. Yeah. <laughs> so again, I expect uh, you know you know Parker to play tonight uh, as well too, but. Uh, yeah, we'll Though be, since they we'll are such a, since they are such a streaky team, they lost seven in a row. They won seven in a row. They just lost their last game. <laughs> Maybe the Aces are catching them at a good time. Maybe the streak is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I know Bill Lambeer feels uh, a lot better. You know, having uh, Liz Cambage and Dierka Hamby in again. Hamby will probably be back sooner than later. Got a chance to talk with her yesterday, and that'll be. Um, you know, my pregame guest uh, tonight. So uh, we'll have some fun. Uh, you know, with that, and of course, every time that. You think about the Chicago Sky, and you think about the Las Vegas Aces and Dierka Hamby. You think about the 2019 playoffs when she hit the half-court shot uh, to propel them onwards and send Chicago home after that. So that was uh, um, interesting. We'll talk with her about that. And uh, just a little programming change here uh, you know, with that, too, as the game was going to be on our old station uh, tonight. Uh, uh, UNLV game will be on uh, ESPN Las Vegas 1100, 100.9 FM. So the Aces will be broadcast on Fox Sports LV tonight. 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. So, Correcto Mundo. That's where you'll find that's where you'll find it. Took me a while to remember the the uh the frequency on the radio. It's been a while. So, there it's we go. It's definitely been a while. But, so, that's why you got to jot some of that stuff down because yeah, yeah. it can get confusing, you know. <laughs> right, right. Especially when working over there as you did and yeah, as I did yeah, for many years yeah. when you're doing like three or four different stations yeah. and you know, then I hear a song sometimes and I want to say, you know, the rock station call letters or something like right. that and I'm like, "Oh wait, it's just a rejoiner. It's not actually I'm not playing DJ right now." <laughs> <laughs> All right, so looking forward to the game to that. All right, so breaking news uh, with the Raiders today. You know, we talked about the Raiders. What are they going to do defensively? We like them offensively, but defensively still a lot of question marks. And uh, they have tried to uh, bolster that defense. You know, uh, assigning the linebacker we mentioned the other day out of uh, Carolina who had some ties with Gus Bradley. Well, uh, the Raiders made, made some splashing news today. K.J. Wright, the former linebacker with the Seattle Seahawks, he signs a one-year deal with the Raiders. And K.J. Wright... Uh, spent 10 years with the Seahawks. He was drafted by them, by them, um, had a lot of success 
you know, with them. He was part of the Legion of Boom. And we've seen guys leave that Seattle Seahawks team over the years. We've seen Richard Sherman leave, several other guys on that defense. Uh, and now uh, K.J. Wright uh, is not coming back. And, uh, you know, Wright was, was basically uh, a free agent. He wanted to come back, uh, you know, with Seattle. But they drafted a, a couple young linebackers, uh, a couple of the guys in the defense. And Pete Carroll and company have said, hey, we're, we're going to go young. So, K.J. Wright, we don't have room for you. And uh, Gus Bradley said, you know what? We still think this guy has got something left in the tank. So the Raiders make a, a big sign today with K.J. Wright, uh, one-year deal. Apparently he visited uh, the Raiders here a, a few weeks back. It was kind of gauging interest. And uh, today uh, John Gruden and Mike Mayock and Mark Davis pulled the trigger. Yeah, and that's one of the things that you're always looking for at this time of season, and that's why when the rosters get cut down to 53 players and that, you're looking to see who's available, what names are out there, what guys do still have it, where somebody maybe lands and is a good fit. And when Seattle says something like, well, we've decided we're going to go young, that also sometimes is management speak for we're going to go a little bit cheaper. Younger guys, uh, they might not have the experience, but they don't cost as much as veterans in the NFL. So, you know, I'm curious to see what kind of season Seattle has this year. They always have high expectations. But uh, anybody who can help shore up that Raider defense whatsoever is a big plus. Can K.J. Wright do it? Well, I guess we'll find out on the football field. But it's certainly, I mean, you got to take a flyer on some guys out there because you mentioned the offense has not been the problem for this team for the most part. The defense... Uh, especially in the fourth quarter, late in games, they wear down and they, they don't protect leads enough. They have to shore up that defense if they want to, as Mayock and Gruden said, make the playoffs this year. That is a huge jump up in status, and uh, you know it would be a big accomplishment, but uh, they're not anywhere near there yet. Right, and uh, you know with K.J. Wright, a guy who has a, a really good reputation, and what, what stands out for me with K.J. Wright, not only the 10 years with Seattle, staying with one team, but he was a guy that you could really count on. I mean, he was, he was a sound tackler, pretty good cover guy for being a linebacker and everything. And I know that the Seahawks were thinking, okay, you know, he's going to you know, command a little bit more money because he was a 10-year veteran. They figured, okay, we've probably seen his best years. And that's, that could be true. It, it probably is true. But he still put up some very good stats in 2019 and some decent stats last year in 2020. So, again, it's all about familiarity. And when Gus Bradley was the defensive coordinator with the Seahawks, they were pretty darn good, and him and K.J. Wright had a great relationship. And as we know, this business is all about relationships. Uh, But one of the things that always stood out for me with K.J. Wright, and he was a good guy, uh, high moral, high character, and he won the Steve Largen Award. And that Steve Largent Award is a very big deal in Seattle because, you know, of course, Largent, the longtime wide receiver, and uh, it's basically a character award that he won. It's kind of so, like the Walter Payton Award for the for the whole NFL and stuff yeah. like that. But Steve and each Largent, team yeah. kind of has yeah. one of those. Yeah, yeah. C- certainly. And, and Steve Largent, like you said, I mean, maybe one of the most underrated receivers out there. You know, in Seattle, I know he's highly thought of, but if you're younger and you haven't really seen Steve Largent, just YouTube or Google him or something like that. Uh, he was a tremendous, tremendous receiver. Yeah. So, K.J. Wright with the Raiders, one-year deal, should bolster their defense, especially considering the injuries that they have at that position, and they've been shopping. Like we mentioned, Denzel Perryman, he joined the Raiders uh, a few days ago. Again, he has history with Gus Bradley when Perryman was with the Chargers, when Bradley was the defensive coordinator there. So, you know, because the Raiders are, are getting some high-profile guys who have been successful in the league, that has got to, you know, have a good ringing sound for Raider fans. But both these guys are a little bit older and just wonder how much they do have left in the tank. But uh, I still I got to applaud Mike Mayuck and John Gruden for going after guys like this. That they, you know, and it's touchy. It's a very touchy situation because you go after a guy that's available, basically that. You know, the other team doesn't want anymore. They're saying, you know what, KJ Wright, you, you can leave. We appreciate your 10 years here in Seattle. But they didn't think too much of him. That's why they're going with rookies to replace him. Yeah, they basically said, you can still play football, you just can't play it here. Right, right. Now, for a team like the Raiders, who have struggled defensively, who have injuries at that position, 
it makes a lot of sense. But I'm sure that Mike Mayock and John Gruden do their, they did their due diligence. They did their homework. Uh, you know, they, they worked him out. They looked at his medical situation and said, okay, this is good. But this is one of the reasons why, too, they only signed him for a one-year deal. So, But uh, good news if you're a Raider fan today because at least you're getting a couple guys that have proven they could play uh, in Perryman and Wright. And uh, you, you got 11 days before the season starts. So you've got time to get them acclimated. So good timing, good move, and we'll see how this transpires. And that's one of the interesting things about this season, too. We talk about that it's the first time that they're having a bye week before the season starts after the preseason ends. So when teams do add somebody late now, they do have more time to get him into their system, to get him some reps and practices, to get him acclimated to the things going on. And with a 10-year NFL veteran, you figure he's going to pick things up even quicker. I mean... Uh, for the opening night, there's no reason that he should not just be ready to go and have the playbook in his head and everything else because he's been doing this for a long, long time. Ten years as a pro, go to college, go to high school and everything else. I mean, he should be an immediate, uh, you know, when he's on the field, he should definitely not be fooled by anything. He should know everything in the playbook, and I'm sure he will. Well, more importantly, because he's playing for his old coach. So the right. terminology is going to be the same. The system is going to be the same. So he's going to be able to, to jump right in immediately. Yeah, so, so yeah. you know, it's the, yeah. the old adage of riding a bike. Absolutely, yeah. And again, there's that, that comfortability, that familiarity when you play for someone. Again, that's why he's here. He's here because he played for Gus Bradley, and Gus Bradley went to Gruden and Mayock and said, you know what? I think this guy still has something in the tank. He's going to come in here. He's going to pick up. He's going to know our schemes. He's going to know his responsibilities. So, you know, to me, that's... That's like adding an entire training camp with somebody. You know, because someone just you know joins you. Like I said, you got eleven days, so you're going to have about you know eight or nine practices. You're going to have walkthroughs, of course. You know, before the Monday night game next Monday against the Baltimore Ravens. But then you got a guy that oh yeah, coach, I remember that. This and that. oh terminology still the same. Yeah, it's all good. So you know, add a couple weeks of, of the guy already being here. In my opinion, like that. Well, and, and again, as you mentioned too, they open on the Monday night. So they have even a little bit more time. It's not the Thursday night game. It's not even one of the Sunday games. It's Monday night. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't think that should be a problem at all. And even if the terminology has changed just a little bit and tweaked here and there, it's nothing that he's not going to be able to handle. And I'm sure that Gus Bradley looked and he said, look, this guy can not only help us, he can make an immediate impact on the defense side of the ball where because of a couple injuries and stuff like that, although it's only week one, Hmm. they do need some help because they're already stretched a little thin. Right. So when you look at that game Monday night against the Baltimore Ravens, it, you know again a little more than a week away, but I know that there are a lot of people out there that are saying this is the biggest sporting event in the history of Las Vegas, and I kind of see where you're going with that because there's going to be pomp and circumstance. You're going to have sixty-five thousand fans there, but I scale that back and say, well, let, wait a minute. Let's. This is a big event, but it's not the biggest in history. I mean, we've had major world championship boxing here. Not just recently, not with Manny Pacquiao, not with Floyd Mayweather Jr., okay, not with the heavyweights, but you know, going back to Muhammad Ali, going back to Caesar's Palace outdoors, Hagler Hearns, you you have all of you know, I mean, you know, all of those great boxers, Oscar De La Hoya, Julio Cesar Chavez. I mean, it goes on and on and on. That's just from a boxing perspective. And, he, and for and, the wrong reasons, unfortunately, you say fan, man, everybody in the world knows what you're talking right, about. Right, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Evander Holyfield, Riddick Poe. There you go. The, the list goes on and on and on. And yes, you're probably going to have the most people you've had at a football game thus far at Allegiant Stadium. And there will be times where 65,000 will be routine. They'll even be bigger crowds once we have concerts and uh, you know maybe even boxing that uh, you know you can get more seats in you know when you start putting them on the floor and that sort of thing boxing or UFC UFC they, you know, they, sure. they, you exactly know, right they you can know, get like, a John Jones yeah. and some of the, the, right. the bigger names again like, and they can get it all worked out it's uh, so you could approach 75 or 80,000 with floor seating you know realistically at least more than you can get in a in a football game right so I don't know. I just when I hear stuff like that, the biggest sporting event in the history of Las Vegas, I pause. Well, I, I, I definitely pause, and I know it wasn't here, but obviously UNLV won in the basketball championship. It wasn't here, but the celebrations and yeah. everything that went on. You mentioned the boxing and other things out there, and um, I don't even know if it's actually bigger than what we saw a few years ago 
when a team makes the Stanley Cup final in their very first season, um, I don't really know that you could if, – if that doesn't compete with an opening game for a team that's been around for a while of a NFL season – and that's not a positive statement for the Vegas Golden Knights and the uh, the NHL. Right? If, if if you're an expansion team going to the final and they won that first game, remember? So right. you know it's uh yeah I mean, I don't it's a big game the biggest event ever. I think that's susceptible to a lot of things. I mean, and I, I know it wasn't a big event at the time, but yeah. we've also had things like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar setting the point record right. here in Vegas. Yeah. Now, again, it wasn't big at the time. You know, maybe not as big at the convention center yeah. and all that, but there's been a lot of big things out here. The opening of the Speedway was a huge event. Yeah. We want to talk about, okay, 65,000 people at the Raider game. Well, there was, what, 150,000 out there right. for that? Right. So it kind of is your, in your perspective and your wheelhouse of what the yeah. biggest things are. People tend to think that I'm seeing it, so this is now the biggest thing ever because I'm part of it. Right. Or if you're attached, you know, to the Raiders and you're a big fan of that sort of thing, it's like, hey, we've been waiting for this. And again, there was a lot of pomp and circumstance last year for that first game, the Monday Night Football game against the Saints, but there were no fans. And then we saw uh, same thing with Carlos Santana coming for the preseason game against Seattle, but it was just a preseason game. And then you look at the numbers, there, it was right about 50,000 that were there. So we know it's going to be 65,000 fans inside. It's going to be the first game with fans at Allegiant Stadium against a good opponent. I get that. But I agree 100% with you, and that's what went through my mind. Vegas Golden Knights. The opening game at T-Mobile Arena, fantastic. But when you're talking about a Stanley Cup final and the games that were here for that, those were huge. But I think a lot of people get caught up in the number. 65,000, traffic jams, all that sort of thing. Again, I go back to boxing when they used to pack 15,000, 17,000 outside at Caesars Palace. Or you go into the MGM Grand where you're packing in 15,000. T-Mobile Arena for boxing and UFC, we were getting 18,000, 19,000. Golden Knights fans staying in room only at 19,000. So you have all of that. You have to look at, again, postseason, championship, Stanley Cup final. I agree with you. And it'd be interesting to... You know, maybe we should put that out when we have more time. You know, with our listeners uh, on the phones as well as Twitter. What do you think the biggest Las Vegas sporting event is, and where does this regular season game? But for me, it's that this is a regular season game. I don't care if it's week one, week eight, week fifteen. For me, it's a regular season game, and it's not the biggest in history. It's probably not even close, to be honest with you. No, I I would agree, and that's why I threw some of those other things out there. Yeah, it's big, and it's something that everybody wants to see. And like you said, okay, everybody wants to look at the numbers. Well, then if you're looking at the numbers, then without a doubt, the biggest sporting event that happened out here was uh, the the race at the Speedway, like I mentioned. Attendance, if we're there. Yeah, Yeah, and if we're just going to attendance. Oh, and by the way, if the race at the Speedway was for that, then the the Electric Daisy Festival or whatever is oh, bigger than that to people. Of course. So, you know, so, right. so, so, yeah, I mean, it's like you can't just go numbers. You know, the Vegas Golden Knights could only fill T-Mobile Arena. Right. When the Bucks just won a championship, was it just the number inside or was it everybody in Deer Park or the entire damn state closing down right. for them to watch everything? Right. You have to look at the whole total picture right. not just the snapshot that looks good and you cropped right. in your phone and no disrespect to the speedway in that race but it, it's not a daytona 500 it's not an indy 500 no oh by the way of when they had that opening who won that race by the way uh i know it wasn't one of the bush brothers because i had <laughs> kyle in our little pool and i won he he, he finished better yeah. than anybody else uh, but my point is if you can't even remember like who won that race okay it was a spectacle but it wasn't you know this 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 big event that you can't even remember. I mean, big events we remember. We remember what happened with the Golden Knights in the Washington Capitals. We remember that. We can talk about every one of those games in those series, especially the home games. So, and again, you got ta- also a good start. You talk about Fan Man. <laughs> okay, you, we remember what happened. Remember who was fighting. Remember who won that fight, and some of the other you know classic you know boxing matches as well. So. Maybe I misremembered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably all did. <laughs> Chuck Esposito is going to join us. We talk betting at the counter, football style, coming up next. The T.C. Martin Show. There's only one thing we know for sure. The Giants of New York took on the Packers of Green Bay. The Dr. T.C. Martin. He was a most ripping victory by kicking an oblong ball made of pigskin to a big H. The doctor is now in. 
All right, college football weekend. Man, it's a long weekend, too. It started last night. More games today. Looking forward to that. And let's visit with our good friend Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock. What's going on, Chuck? It's all good, TC. It's the A Sportsbook. You know, it's a, it's a great way to kick off the weekend with a bunch of college football games tonight, I think highlighted by the Ohio State-Minnesota game. You've got Eastern Washington and UNLV, and then some big games this weekend. Uh, I think we touched on those, you know, that were coming up, of course. You had Penn State, Wisconsin, and Alabama, Miami of Florida, Georgia, Clemson, and, and then you've got the big game with some West Coast bias with LSU against UCLA. So a lot of cool stuff on the docket, and we're excited to get it kicked off tonight with a, a lot of college football games. All right, speaking of tonight, Chuck, we, UNLV is at Allegiant Stadium. They're expecting to have maybe around 25,000, maybe even more. We'll see how that goes against Eastern Washington. We know not a marquee opponent, but I understand that there was been some – some serious betting moves here on this thing. And what can you tell us about where this game opened at and where it is currently right now? Uh, well, I mean, when you say serious betting, I mean, it's really been one-sided, TC. I right. mean, it's really been in favor of Eastern Washington. Um, you, you look at UNLV and they opened up, uh, um, you know, a two-score favorite in this game. It's been bet to Eastern Washington, the favorite right now. So it's fairly one-sided. I mean, we know UNLV's win total is one-and-a-half uh, they struggled when they played a smaller school in Howard in 2017 and got beat at home. And uh, we're clearly Rebel fans tonight. Um, not sure if this number is going to get any higher right now, but uh, it, it's all been Eastern Washington uh, for the better so far. And Chuck, th- this is very unusual that you have that kind of a line movement. And did the number open around 11.5 or 12? And you're saying, and I knew as of yesterday, I believe UNLV was still a favorite around 2.5 or 3. And now you're saying more. Eastern Washington money's coming through. So this is like a 12 or a 13-point swing for week one. That is like unheard of, isn't it? It it didn't op- it is TC it didn't open up quite that high um, but it is an extra game and you know we're moving it a lot quicker um, but you're absolutely right I mean the game did ping pong for a while around that you know seven six and a half seven um, so you were seeing actually some UNLV money at minus six and a half um, but then it pretty much was an onslaught of um, Eastern Washington action after that when you look at the people that are laying wagers on this game. Is it people that believe in Eastern Washington that much, or are these strictly bets against UNLV and a disbelief in their program? You know, it's hard to say ballpark. It's week one. Um, you know, it's uh, they're going to have fans in the building. It's a phenomenal stadium. Uh, I don't know at this point. I'm being honest. I mean, I think most of them are, are just trying to fade UNLV and, and non-believers at this point. But um, they're at home, and, you know, we'll see. I guess the final score will ultimately tell us what uh, if, these get, if these guys were right or wrong at this point. And that's the thing, too. We really don't have a good gauge on UNLV. You know, not seeing them practice, not knowing really much about the quarterback situation there. Marcus Royals kept everything pretty much close to the vest. And what we do know about Eastern Washington, you have to dig deep about this, but this is a program that is is pretty good in, in the big sky. And, you know, they compete not only there, but in the subdivision, that sort of thing. And they do have a quarterback at that level who's, you know, could be an All-American, actually is an All-American. So anytime you have a a good quarterback, and as you know, Chuck, we have seen, you know, guys from the subdivision going back to Eastern Illinois and Tony Romo. And there's a lot of guys. I mean, go back to Trey Lance at, you know, North Dakota State and Carson Wentz and guys like that. So if you've got a quarterback that can play and maybe has some NFL aspirations, I mean, people are going to look at that and they're going to jump on that and I think it's it's a combination of that and more of a play against UNLV as people still think hey this is still one of the worst programs in, in all of D1 football very well could be TC you, you hit a good point that they are a, a good team in the big sky and they've had a lot of success there over the last several years um, kind of anxious to see how UNLV plays this game out tonight and um, you see how they ultimately do of course in correlation to the number but um, we're, we're clearly Rebel fans. I mean, we still have a lot of time until kickoff tonight. You might see some, some UNLV money start to show maybe and bring that down a little bit. But um, it's been a lot of action on Eastern Washington. We know that people love to bet the parlay bets. In week one, are parlays just as popular as any other week? Or sometimes do they kind of do the individual games at this point until they see what teams are like a little bit more? You know, Ballpark, I think everyone's just happy that football is here. I mean, if it's parlays, if it's teasers, straight bets, 
if you're parlaying um, football games to other sports, you had baseball going on today and other things. I think it's just a correlation of everything, that you've got so many different things on the board, so many opportunities to bet. And if you scroll through our mobile app, I mean, there is just a, a lot of stuff on the board right now in relation to football. It's such a great time to get signed up. We still have up to that $500 bonus going on. Um, so it, there's just so much on the board right now. I think whatever your kind of passion is, if you like parlays or teasers or straight bets, you're just glad that football's here and, and you're going to jump right in it. And I think that's what makes it a fun time of year for all of us. Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock. Uh, Chuck, you mentioned Ohio State ranked fourth in the country against Minnesota. Uh, an improving program over the last few seasons. Minnesota's at home getting two touchdowns. Have you seen uh, two-way action in this, or where's the money coming in? Yeah, kind of the same thing, guys. Uh, pretty much one-sided uh, in favor of um, of the Buckeyes in this game. I mean, you saw a little bit of action on uh, Minnesota early on. Game opened 14, went to 13 and a half, and it's kind of ping-ponged back and forth. Uh, at this stage, though, it, we are definitely go for fans tonight. Uh, you've seen a lot more action on Ohio State. Kind of the marquee game of the night. I know we touched on a couple of the other key games for Saturday. Clearly the marquee game of the night and a lot of action on Ohio State so far, guys. With uh, the football season starting like this on a Thursday with so many games and then a marquee matchup as well, and maybe not marquee matchup, but certainly a marquee team playing tonight with Ohio State there, is that a good way to lead into the weekend for you with uh, get people kind of rolling, then you have Friday with the baseball and U.S. Open and other things that are going on, and then Saturday the gates really open up for college football? I can't say it enough, ballpark. It's yay sportsbooks. I think it's phenomenal. I think it's great to have this many games on Thursday night. It's kind of a a little bit of a limited baseball schedule, but just to get everybody kind of fired up for the weekend. We know it's a holiday weekend and a lot going on this week. There's no pro football this Sunday, but you have a, a college game on Sunday, a college game on Monday as well to go with the games on Thursday and Friday and the full slate on Saturday. So it's uh, it's phenomenal. I love getting it kicked off this way. And there's a lot of extra games on the board tonight, a couple of the FBS games as well. But uh, I think it's just a fun way to kind of kick it off and get everybody excited. Last year we were so limited that uh, college football started so much later. You didn't have a lot of the out-of-conference out of big matchups that we all love. It was so much more structured with just in-conference I think everybody's excited about it this year. Chuck, I wholeheartedly agree with you, and that was my thought exactly. Is like it, it was like college football was void last year. I mean, we weren't talking about college football on Labor Day weekend last year. And like you said, it was much later, and then it was limited. And then every week we had to say, well, is this game going to get canceled? Is it going to get postponed? And we knew that we were going to see empty stands, empty bleachers at all these you know historic college sites. It just seems like this is two years removed. Everyone's excited. It's great that, like you said, you even started last night with, with a couple games, and then you got Thursday, you got Friday, you got Saturday, you got Sunday, and, and, and game on Monday. And there's uh, you know enough good games like a Clemson, Georgia, and you know these other games. Like, yeah, this is great. We actually don't need the NFL this this weekend. I mean, it's it is fine, but I, we are all excited to have college football back with you know fans in the stands. Yeah, I think when you look at the out-of-conference games, guys, and you've got you know the defending national championship uh, Alabama team playing Miami of Florida, you've got LSU playing UCLA. We've seen a dramatic line move there, where LSU was you know over a field goal favorite. It's now under that, so uh, clearly some West Coast bias. And UCLA playing their second game um, had that big win in their first game, and and you know didn't look great offensively, but still was able to run up a lot of points in that game. LSU had a down year last year after winning the national championship, so we've seen a lot of UCLA money. But I think when you talk about college too, guys, we're really excited because we're able to offer both our last man standing contest this year, both our pro and college football contest, kind of our signature and staple events, uh, guaranteed 150000 in pro, 100000 in college. Uh, and if you sign up by September 6th and you happen to win both, there is a $750,000 bonus, making it a cool $1 million last man standing. So get signed up. You still have a few days left. We've been signing up people like crazy at all of our properties, but it's all the station's books, our Wildfire Gaming, El Cortez. Come on in, get signed up. 
And who knows? Maybe you'll be a lucky million-dollar football winner. Yeah, and that's what's great about all the station casino properties. They're all over town. doesn't matter what part of town you live. And you can go ahead and, and, and bet this anywhere. Cash your tickets at, at any property as well, too. The mobile app is outstanding. It's so easy to use. And again, you know, Chuck, when you get to this time of year contest, everybody loves the contest. And again, you know, you've you got some high stakes out there. you got some uh, very low entry you know, fees. And the last man standing is is very exciting, and uh, everyone has a shot. You know, it's just like the beginning of every season, right? Everyone's O and O, right? Everybody's zero and zero right now, and uh, it, it's they fun. are. And I think you touched on it, TC. It's you know, it's a twenty-five dollar entry fee mm-hmm. for either the college or pro um, to get an entry. If you sign up four times, it's a hundred dollars. You get the fifth one free. So, in comparison, you have a chance to win either one hundred and fifty thousand or a hundred guaranteed in the college, one hundred and fifty in the pros, and and maybe you can win them both, and you can turn it into that huge, cool prize. So. Um, um, you know, compared to what the entry fee is on some of the other ones, there still is a big carrot out there. But really the key is get signed up as early as you can, um, you know, for the early bird bonus so you're eligible for both contests in case you happen to have a phenomenal run. All right. Great stuff, Chuck. All right. We appreciate the time as always. Look forward to talking with you during the course of this football season and uh, hope everything is uh, going great for you and everyone over there at the Red Rock. All right, boys, it's going great. Look forward to seeing you guys up here. Uh, have a great weekend. Enjoy the football. Have a nice holiday, and I'll see you guys next week. All right, there you go. There he is, Chuck Esposito. He uh, made the trek, uh, Sunset Station from Henderson over to Summerlin. You're part of the uh, the woods over there, Frank. Uh, Red Rock, uh, just a great property, and uh, I love the food options over there, too. And I love the book over there as well, too. I got a chance to spend a little time there last weekend when uh, Chuck made the move, and uh, yeah, it's great. And again, Chuck Esposito, not just Red Rock, but uh, again, in, in involved with all of these station casino properties. Yeah, and they do a lot of different things there. And like he mentioned, uh, interesting that, uh, boy, I mean, that that would be a hell of an exact to hit if you hit the uh, college football and the NFL. But what a nice caveat and carrot at the end for no extra fees or money or anything involved in it. So kind of a long shot, but makes it that much more interesting. And, uh, you know, football is back. And like Chuck mentioned, people excited about that. So you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing Chuck over there. Uh, I do uh, go up to the Red Rock uh, Casino quite often and uh, actually just uh, went to the uh, Lucky Penny and grabbed a bite to eat last night because on uh, Wednesdays for us uh, older people, it's uh, <laughs> half off when you uh, use your points to purchase your meal. So There it is. Yeah, Wednesday's always a uh, special. Uh, at all yeah. the uh, yeah, Wednesdays casinos. and Thursdays are kind of like uh, senior days over there. Yeah. So. And now, you know, if you play your cards right, too, it's not just the Lucky Penny. And Lucky Penny's got, got great food as well, too. And they got the Lucky Penny over at uh, Green Valley Ranch as well, too. But if you play your cards right, sometimes you get those half points off at uh, Hank's or T-Bones as well, too. It's, yeah, know? T-Bones looks like a very nice place. It uh, scares me with my financial situation, <laughs> but um, but it does. It, it definitely That's looks I'm like saying. a very nice place. You can get the half points. You can use that. Occasionally, they'll throw that in there on a Wednesday. It's it's different. Oh yeah, yeah, no, right? no, no, yeah, no. Yeah. Every Wednesday is is half points for for seniors on the senior days. Yeah, right. and then it's like ten times points for the slots and video poker and that sort of stuff on Thursdays or whatever. So right. then Fridays is the giveaway days. Although they're only doing two giveaways this month, so a little bit fewer than normal. So look at that. Yeah, see, right. see I, I I look at my mailers when I get them. So <laughs> so do it's, I. It's what that's telling you. <laughs> so do I. I. I get my mailers uh, from there as well too. So checking it out. All right. But, I, but like I say, like you said, I'm looking forward to seeing Chuck over there because I do go up there more frequently in that. And, you know, I usually kind of meander through the sports book a little bit. And, you know, I might stop and watch a little bit here and there, but I'm walking around doing other stuff as well. But, uh, you know, seeing Chuck over there, it's, uh, it'll be nice. And, uh, you know, maybe drop a wager or check out some of the games and that. And he's right. There's so much stuff going on. I know uh, Ken Bolke, who was in here earlier uh, doing Brian's show before us, you know, he was wearing a soccer jersey because there's a big soccer right. match today. And, you know, it is amazing, too, how many more people are getting involved in the soccer. And like I mentioned, the U.S. Open tennis going on. And, you know, and, and we see so many different things out there with betting options. And more and more of them are getting implemented. And people, you know, it's not just the major sports mm-hmm. anymore. They they are looking at this because some people think that they know maybe more than the sports book directors and they can get an, a, a break on the odds or something like that in the sports that maybe aren't the focal point of the book. Right. Uh, and speaking of which, uh, U.S. Open going on right now into the second round. And I know you're uh, a big uh, 
a fan of that and, and the tennis, and, and I love the tennis as well too. And I, the U.S. Open for me has always been my favorite, uh, you know, of the the majors, the Grand Slams. Uh, and I see that your boy uh, Stefanos Sitsipas uh, uh, was booed again last night after another long trip off the court. Now we talked about this the other day about taking the bathroom breaks, and it caught a lot of people off surprise. You know, if you don't watch tennis, you're going to be like, well, what is this? But like you mentioned, yes, this is a thing. But it seems like Sitsipas is really taking this to the next level. So he decided to take another long trip off the court during his uh, second-round victory over uh, Adrian uh, uh, Manorino. Uh, Manorino, excuse me. Uh, I always have a problem with Manorino. Uh, but in his first-round match against Andy Murray, you know, he took several breaks. Andy Murray was very vocal about this as well. So, uh Yeah. Uh, Pass sees nothing wrong with taking a couple of timeouts, whether it's, he's going to the bathroom, uh, using some extra deodorant, getting a cold beverage. I have no he, idea. He changes his clothes. He admits yeah. that when he goes into the locker room there, first off, he only does and, – and you'll see this in the men's and the women's game. Yeah. If they lose a set, that's when they will generally take a bathroom break. Mm-hmm. Now, once in a while, even after they win a set, they will do it. They don't do it in the middle of the sets for the most part. Sissipets hasn't done that. He's done it. Under the rules, in the men's tournament, they're allowed two breaks because it's five set. Now, remember, these matches can last four or five hours sometimes, depending on how long they go. There is no set thing. It can be two to 25 minutes. He took eight minutes against Murray. I think he took about eight minutes this time. And it's not like there's a facility right there on the court. They have to walk up. They have to be, you know, the guards and security have to walk them through the crowd and everything to get there. He goes back. He admits that he, you know, does his business or whatever he's doing, but then he also does change clothes and kinds of relax, probably splashes some water on his face and gets mentally ready to go again. It's not unusual. Men do it. Nadal does it all the time. Several of the women players do it. Uh, there's a lot of women that if you, they lose a set, you know you're in for a break. I've seen breaks as long as 20 minutes for some of the women in that. Make no mistake about it. The crowd is booing Stefano Sitsipas because Andy Murray called him out on it. Mm. Otherwise, I don't even know that they'd be cognizant of it because mm-hmm. other players have taken this long mm-hmm. a break. But Andy Murray, a grizzled old veteran who's had several injuries and has been playing well of late, and thought he had a chance to beat him and advance at the U.S. Open and regain some of that youth, when he lost and he called them out, that's why the crowd's aware of it now. Other players do this as well. They, they do, but it, again, we would never even talk about this before because, again, whether it's social media or other people in the media or fans get a hold of something, they talk about it. We never, ever talked about this before, and you didn't see players do this years and years ago. You didn't. They would just gut it out thinking about, okay, I'm playing three, four, five hours. It's okay. But you know, once one guy does it, then another guy does it. But again, this is... I know you're saying that a lot of players do it, but this isn't rampant with everybody. No, it's it's not yeah. rampant. Just like it, before, everybody used to grunt, and then they kind of put that on. We saw a lot of players, and Nadal was one of the ones that people called all the time, but when they actually did the stats, Djokovic takes longer between serves than anybody. He actually gets more clock violations. Yeah. That's why they put a shot clock, or actually, in this case, a serve clock, right. in the tennis game, because so many guys were abusing that. Look at the old times when Jimmy Connors used to play McEnroe and guys like that, he'd always play with his strings and that. He did it constantly, but there wasn't any rules, and nobody called him out on it. And if they did, people didn't care because he was Jimmy Connors, yeah. the, the lovable American yeah. or the bad boy American, yeah. however you looked at him. But no, that's why they have rule changes for some of this stuff. And I guarantee you, after this tournament, the ATP and the WTA and the whole all the tennis sanctioning bodies, they're going to look at this, and just like they did with coaching and things like that, they're going to make some kind of amendment. They're going to put some kind of rules on it. But you also have to remember, you know, the restroom facilities from the main court might be much different than they are from one of the yeah. farther out courts or something like that. So I don't know what it's going to be. I don't think Sitsipas is doing anything wrong right now. Maybe from a competitive standpoint, maybe he's using everything to his advantage. But if you're playing for a $4 million purse at the end of the thing, um, 
just win, baby. I yeah. mean, I'm sorry. That's yeah. a, he's not breaking the rules. No, he's not. And again, the Grand Slam rule book says that players should take a reasonable amount of time, reasonable in quotation marks, uh, but does not provide an exact number of minutes that would be acceptable. And Paw says, here's his quote, if I break a rule, sure, I'm guilty. I agree. He goes, I'm not doing, he goes, I'm not doing something right. If I'm staying with the guidelines, then what's the issue here? And again, he, you know, he won in, in, in four sets. Uh, last night uh, again, but I think you know fans are going to boo and will continue to boo because this is now a story. And for a guy that could probably take a break and take three or four minutes, guys that are going to take seven, eight, ten, and like you said, some guys take twenty, then they're going to view that player as really trying to take advantage and circumvent a rule to a certain degree. And let's 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 be honest. A guy is probably back there doing that, and he doesn't need that amount of time, but he wants to get in his opponent's head, or maybe he just, you know, he's upset with the fans booing this and that. And so that's where they take a little bit more liberty, and I think that's where the problem lies, why fans, uh, you know, can have a disconnect with us. No, and I agree. And you know what? Sitsipas, so far, it seems like he's using it of, he's using the booze as a positive for him, going, boo me all you want. I'm doing, if I'm getting in your heads, then I'm probably getting in my opponents as well. And it's not just getting in your opponent's head. It's also getting yourself on track. Against Manorino, he won the first two sets. He lost the third in a tiebreak 7-6. He lost a tiebreak 7-4. So he went back. He wanted to regroup. He just lost a tough, grueling set. He didn't want Manorino to get back in the match, so he wanted to win the fourth set. So he took a little extra time. He got himself mentally ready. He changed his clothes. He did everything that the rules allow. And and I want to throw this in, too. The 20 minutes or something like that, that's an incredibly rare exception. But we also see people do this in tennis in another kind of way. It's not just with the timeouts and going to the bathroom and that. How many times do we see a player call for a physician to come down and give them treatment or something like that when they're not even necessarily hurt, but they just want a mental break and maybe get a little massage and get some heating uh, stuff rubbed on there where, where it's hurt or whatever? We all know that injuries affect you a lot more when you're losing than when you're winning. You can gut it out, but all of a sudden things start going wrong and oh, my hammy's really sore and you know my, my, my calf is really giving me trouble now or whatever. So it's not just the, the bathroom breaks that people use. People use a lot of stuff to their discretion to try to give themselves the best chance to win. That's why coaching, although it's illegal, how many people don't look in the stands? Even Serena, when Naomi Osaka won, her, won the first U.S. Open. What did she get in trouble for? She got a penalty point because she was getting coached. Even the best right. in the world break the rules. Right. Sitsipas isn't even breaking any rules, but Andy Murray called him out, and it's a New York crowd. So, yeah, he's not American. Let's boo the crap out of him. Yeah, Sitsipas must have done something uh, before that last set because uh, it took his time and he got some energy drinks or something because he won that one six love. The yeah. last set. So no, he, he was he, raring to he go. He cruised right through he it. He mentally so. recharged. But he also won the first two sets handily. Yeah. He, he had one bad set, and he lost yeah. in the tiebreak. If he wins that tiebreak, we're not talking about this today. Okay. All right. We'll continue to be talking about it. A lot of people are going to continue to talk about it as long as he hangs around the tournament and continues to, to take these breaks. I think he'll uh, be there for a while, although yeah. Medvedev is playing well. Yeah. Djokovic, of course, going for the Grand Slam. And I'll tell you what, Zverev finally playing like mm. he's capable of. All right, uh, we come back. We talk some more football. Scott Spritzer is going to join us. The big seven-footer is going to check in as well, too. Got some interesting takes uh, from him with uh, athletes' uh, pregame routines. Have some fun with that. It's TC. It's Ballpark right here on a Thursday.